And welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 87. And so today we find ourselves in uh, the book of Esther, chapter 5. And as we concluded with chapter 4 yesterday, um, we recall that uh, uh, Esther has been made queen and that uh, Mordecai, uh, her adoptive father, has come to her with this issue that Haman had uh, issued this decree that all of the Jews were to be killed and that... Um, he went to uh, Esther in order that she would plead with the king uh, to change this decree. Uh, but Esther informed Mordecai that unless she was summoned by the king, uh, that she could be executed. And so um, the king says, well, you know, maybe you've been placed in this position for such a time as this. And don't think that you're going to, you know, not be punished just because you live in the palace and you're the queen. And so then she replies that, well, I'm going to do it. And if I die, I die. And so with that, we continue on into chapter 5, and we find in verse 1, On the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting in his royal throne, on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor in his eyes. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand towards Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the uh, scepter. So already we see that she has received favor because, again, if the king had not summoned her and she came anyway, he could have essentially given her the thumbs down and then she would be executed because she was not, com she was not summoned, yet she went to see the king. In verse 3, What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her. Whatever you want, even up to half the kingdom will be given to you. We, we see this phrase a lot in the word in the Old Testament. Whatever you want, even up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. So that must have been a saying of the day. Uh, essentially, I don't think they actually meant that, but it essentially was to show favor to the person who was in the presence of the king. In verse 4, if it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman uh, come today uh, to the banquet I have prepared for them. The king said, hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. While drinking the wine, the king uh, asked Esther, whatever you want will be given to you. Whatever you want, even up to half the kingdom will be done. Again, he repeats this, you know, and trying to, I guess, show his favor to Esther that, you know, you are, you are the queen. You are, you are the one, whatever you want. In verse 7, uh, Esther answered, This is my petition and my request. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my uh, petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet tomorrow that I will prepare for them. And so, uh, so she, she, she's essentially saying, Look, just come tomorrow to another banquet I'll prepare, and I'll let you know. Dropping down to uh, verse 11, it says, then Haman, uh, oh, so Haman leaves, okay, and he's, he's high on the cloud. He's been with the king and with the queen, and he's feeling good. But then he comes across Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai does not stand, does not pay homage to him, does not, you know, tremble in fear before him, and this enrages Haman. And so he goes back home, uh, and he sent for his friends, and so his friends came over, and his wife, uh, Zeresh, is there. And in verse 11, it says, Then Haman described for them his glorious wealth, 
and his many sons. <laughs> so before his friends and his wife, he's, he's uh, boasting. He told, them all, uh, he told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him and rank over the other officials and the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I'm invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. And so, again, Haman is really feeling himself. He's like, look, I've got great sons. I've been favored by the king. You know, I'm essentially second in, ch in charge. I'm just, I'm all that, you know. And so in verse 14, it says, his wife, um, Zeresh, and all his friends told him, um, let's see, wait a minute. Do -do 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 yeah, well, let me back up. It says, I am invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. In verse 13, Still, none of this satisfies me uh, since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. Now, isn't this like us? You know, everything could be perfect and everything can be great. And one thing that we don't quite like gets us to get all out of sorts and we forget all of the blessings and everything else that have been bestowed upon us. If you, if you uh, have been in public speaking and, and maybe you've preached from a pulpit or whatever and you're delivering a message, it doesn't matter. And, or if you're uh, you know, teaching seminars or whatever. And so you, you, know, you do your thing and everybody comes up to you, let's say hundreds of people may say, oh, that was awesome, that was great. All it takes is one person to say, well, I don't know if I got much out of that and this, that, and the other. And that will ruin your entire experience. And that... That just seems to be the way we're wired. I don't know. And then in verse 14, you know, after, you know, Mordecai had, excuse me, after Haman had told his wife and his friends how he felt about Mordecai, he was disrespecting him. In verse 14, it says, his wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, have them build a gallows 75 feet tall, ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it, then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows constructed. And so his friends and his wife advised him, look, just build a gallows, hang the scoundrel on it, and then go about the rest of your day and the rest of your life and, and be merry and be happy. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, That night uh, sleep escaped the king. So he, ordered the book, uh, so he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to the king. So apparently as daily events would go on, they would have a scribe, and the scribe would re record um, basically the history of the king's kingship, and this was a part of the royal record. And so he's saying, okay, bring this book out. I'm, something's, troubling me. something's troubling me. Bring this book out and have it read. In verse 2, they found a written report of how Mordecai had informed on uh, Big Than and Teresh, um, uh, the two eunuchs, when they planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. The king inquired, what honor and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act? So Mordecai, if you remember, discovered this plan to assassinate the king. He told Queen Esther. Queen Esther warned the king, and then king, uh, they investiga investigated it, found it to be true. Then the king had the two eunuchs hung. And then it says, the king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. So Mordecai did this good deed in saving the king's life, but nothing was done for Mordecai. In verse 4, the king asked, who was in the court? And it says, um, now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace and asked the king to hang, uh, wait, 
Let me back up. Now, Mordecai was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. So Mordecai is coming into the court because he's going to do what his friends and his wife suggested. He's going to ask the king because, you know, Mordecai is not honoring me because he's not paying me homage. Uh, allow me to hang him. <laughs> and so, um, so the king says, have him enter. And so it says in verse 6, Haman entered. And uh, the king asked him, so this is before Haman could get anything out, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, who is it the king will want to honor more than me? And so Haman is thinking, hmm, okay, so I'm going to tell the king everything that I want him to do for me because, of course, he's thinking about honoring me. So let me tell him in verse 8. Have them bring, this is Haman talking to the king, have them bring the royal garment, uh, that the king himself has worn, and a horse the king himself has ridden, which the royal uh, which has a royal crown on its head. Put the garment and the uh, put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Remember that. <laughs> put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man in the king wants to honor. Parade him on the horse uh, through the city square and proclaim before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. And so in other words, put the, king, the man the king wants to honor on a horse that it's obvious that the horse is a royal horse and with the robe and, and whatnot. And then have a man go before the horse as he rides through uh, town, you know, proclaiming, you know, this is what is done uh, for the man that the king wants to honor. And so, of course, Haman is thinking that this is going to be him riding on this horse. In verse 10, then, king told, then the king told Haman, hurry and do just as you proposed. Take the garment and horse for Mordecai, the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave anything you have suggested out. Don't leave anything out that you suggested. Do everything that you said. Remember, uh, Morde, uh, uh, Haman had said... Uh, uh, have one of the king's most um, in, uh, most noblest of officials. <laughs> so the king is saying, okay, Haman, you're that noble official, so you go before Mordecai and you make the pronouncements as you go through the city with Mordecai riding on the horse. In verse 11, so Haman took the garment uh, and the horse, horse and clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, uh, crying out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. In verse 12, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried off for home, mournful and with his head covered. And so you can imagine how Haman was feeling, right? So the previous day, you know, he's planning, he's going to bed, planning to have Mordecai hung. And then uh, now the tables have turned. Now he's been, uh, you know, proceeded before Mordecai, honoring him in the entire city. And so we can see how his thing has just been flipped upside down. In verse 13, it says, Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. And so these are the ones that had advised him on what to do. Now they see the table has been turned. And so now you, Haman, have to pay for all of this, even though we were the ones that were behind the advice. 
And so they placed everything on him. In verse 14, while they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. And so, because remember, invest, uh, Esther invited them back. Uh, let's go on to chapter 7. It says in verse 1, the king and Haman uh, came to the feast with Esther the queen. Once again, on the second day, while drinking wine, the king asked Esther, Queen Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you, whatever you seek. Even to half the kingdom will be done. Verse 3, Queen Esther answered, if I, if I have found favor in your eyes, your majesty, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request. And so you can imagine the king is like, spare your life? What are you talking about? And spare my people. This is my desire. I'm sure the king is still thinking, what is she? Esther, what are you talking about? Verse 4, for my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and extermination. And again, I'm, I'm thinking the, the king has got to be thinking, what's up here? If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. And so she's saying, look, if it was something merely like slavery, <laughs> I wouldn't have even come to you, king. But this is something greater than that. In verse 5. So finally, the king speaks up. King uh, Ahasuerus spoke up and asked Queen Esther, "Who is this, and where is the one you desire? Who and where is the one who would uh, devise such a scheme?" So the king is like, "Wait, wait, what's going on here?" Verse six. Esther answered, uh, "The the adversary and enemy is this evil Haman." <laughs> so the three of them are eating dinner at a feast, right? And so Esther starts laying out this story, and the king is like, wait a minute, time out. Who's doing this? And she says, him. You know, he's the one, Haman. And so you can imagine the fear that struck Haman's heart when this happened. And it says, um, Haman stood terrified before the king and queen. The king arose in anger and went uh, from where they were drinking wine to the palace garden. Haman remained, uh, Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. Just as the king returned from the palace garden uh, to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, uh, would he actually violate the queen while I'm in the house? And so, But Haman wasn't trying to violate the queen. It may, that's probably what it looked like. He was falling before her begging, spare my life, please spare my life. Exactly as the king is coming back in, he's thinking he's trying to assault her. And so then he says, you're going to do this right in front of my face? And it says, as soon as the statement left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. So they probably had a sack and they put it over his head. And then in verse 9, Harbona, one of the king's uh, eunuchs, this is what he said. He said, there is a gallows 75 feet tall at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai, who gave the report that saved the king. And so Harbona is telling the king, look, this guy, he built a gallows for Mordecai. Remember Mordecai? Mordecai was the one that saved your life. So Harbona is like really driving a nail into Haman's coffin. The king said, hang him on it. In verse 10, they hung Haman on, Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's anger subsided. I mean, there's so much we could hit and highlight right here with regard to what has gone on. Um, 
Mordecai had 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 constructed something that was meant for his adver- uh, his adversary's demise. Instead, he met his demise on the contraption that he had built because his plans were evil from the jump. And so there are many things we could say, what goes around comes around. You know, I would like to keep it in biblical terms and say, you reap what you sow. And so he had wanted to sow death because people were not honoring him, and he died a dishonorable death. And um, so he, he got what he deserved is what it boiled down to. I would have liked to see what would have happened to his wife and his friends, but the word doesn't say anything about that. Let's move on to chapter 8, verse 1. That same day, King Ahasuerus awarded Queen Esther the, the estate of Haman. So, well, maybe his wife paid for it because now this is her estate. Um, it says, Mordecai entered the king's presence because Esther had revealed her relationship to Mordecai to the king. In verse 2, the king removed his signet ring he had recovered from Haman and gave it to Mordecai and put Esther in charge of Haman's estate. Then Esther addressed the king again. In verse 5, she said, If it pleases the king and I have found favor before him, if the matter seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let the royal edict be written, let it revoke the documents in scheming uh, Haman, let, let it revoke the documents the scheming Haman wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. And so Esther is seeking to revoke, uh, reverse the edict that came from Haman. Uh, to kill all her people. And then in verse 7, King Ahasuerus said to Esther, um, said to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, look, I have given Haman's estate to Esther, and he, has ha- and, and he was hanged on the gallows because he attacked the Jews. Write in the king's name whatever pleases you concerning the Jews, and seal it with the royal signet ring. Uh, a document written in the king's name and sealed with the royal signet ring cannot be revoked. And so what this means is that, look, Haman wrote a law with regard to on this certain day, the 13th day of Adar, that the Jews were to be destroyed and whatnot. And so, and it was sealed with the king's signet ring. And so therefore the king couldn't revoke it because it says, you know, essentially a royal decree cannot be revoked. However, you can write something to counteract this decree. Okay, and so that's why he gives uh, Mordecai the signet ring, so he can write something that will counteract the decree that um, Haman had wrote, wrote or written. And so in verse 10 in chapter 8, it says, Mordecai wrote in King Ahasuerus's name and sealed the edicts with the royal signet ring. He sent the documents by mounted couriers and rode fast horses uh, bred in the royal stables. And so he wrote you know, a decree and gave it to cur- couriers and pff, they blitzed out and went through the, um, the Babylonian Empire in order to distribute what the decree would be. And then it says in verse 11, the king's edict um, gave the Jews in each and every city the right to assemble and defend themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate every ethnic and provincial army hostile to them, including women and children, and to take their possessions as spoils of war. <laughs> and so Mordecai, Mordecai wrote a decree, sealed it with the king's ring. It says, look, all the Jews assemble, and you can annihilate the people that are coming against you. You don't have to sit back and be annihilated yourself. 
And then it says in verse 17, in every province and every city, wherever the king's command and his law reached, joy and, um, joy and rejoicing took place among the Jews. There was a celebration and a holiday, and many of the ethnic groups of the land professed themselves to be Jews because fear of the Jews had overcome them. And so <laughs> these other groups realized that the Jews, and, and I'm assuming that the Jewish pattern in, uh, in their exiled territories had not changed and because uh, the, the word has identified before that their numbers keep growing, you know, that they keep having babies, their numbers keep growing. So I'm assuming that numerically speaking that the Jews had to be numerous. And so then these other uh, ethnic groups, <coughs> they, they pretended to be Jews because they didn't want to incur the wrath of uh, the Jewish peoples in those provinces. In, ver in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, The king's command and law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month. And so these two days, the, the date that Haman had written that the Jews were to be exterminated, and then the date that Mordecai had written that the, Jew, Jew, uh, that the Jews could defend themselves were the same day. Okay, And so uh, it says, On the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. In each of King Ahasuerus' provinces, the Jews assembled in their cities uh, to attack those who intended to harm them. Not a single person could withstand them. Fear of them fell on every nationality. And so these people had intended to annihilate the Jews. Instead, the tables got turned, and now they're trembling in fear because they realize that this isn't going to go as, uh, as they thought it was going to go. It was going to end very badly for them. In verse 3, all of the officials of the provinces, the satraps and governors, and the royal civil administrators aided the Jews because they feared Mordecai. For Mordecai exercised great power in the palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. So here you had a man that sat at the city gates that would not, you know, pay homage to Haman and whatnot. And so <clears throat> he, he uh, uh, was in sackcloth and ashes because he thought he and his people were going to be destroyed. Now he's the second most powerful person in the empire. And this was known throughout the land. In verse 5, the Jews had put all their enemies to the sword, killing and destroying them. They did what, pleased, uh, they, did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the fortress Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, including the 10 sons of Haman. And so in the city where the palace was, the Jews killed 500 people there, and they killed the ten sons of Haman. In verse 12 it says, The king said to Queen Esther in the fortress of Susa, of Susa, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, including Haman's ten sons. What have they done in the rest of the royal provinces? Whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek will also be done. In verse 13, <laughs> Esther's getting ruthless. Esther, uh, Esther answered, If it pleases the king, May the Jews who are in Susa, in other words, in our city, our location, also have tomorrow to carry out today's law. And so she's asking for another day where we can carry out our annihilation of our enemies. And may the bodies of Haman's ten sons be hung 
on the gallows. And so these guys are already dead, and she, she wants their bodies to be hung on the gallows as a demonstration, apparently, of what happens to those who come against us. In verse 14, the king gave the orders for this to be done, so the law was announced in Susa. And they hung the bodies of Haman's ten sons. The Jews in Susa assembled again on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and killed 300 more men in Susa. And so the extra day that uh, Esther asked for was used to hang the 10 bodies of Haman's sons, and then they killed more of their enemies on that day. In verse 16, the rest of the Jews in the royal provinces assembled, defending themselves, and gained relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of those who hated them. And so we see a cross uh, the, the, the board across the landscape of the Babylonian Empire, the Jews rose up, defended themselves, and the word says they killed 75,000 of their enemies. And this was all born out of the hate that Haman had for Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow in homage to him. Incredible. We're going to chapter 10, and the last verse says, Mordecai the Jew... Uh, was second only to King Ahasuerus. He was famous among the Jews and highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue the prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of all his descendants. Wow, what a legacy. He continued to pursue the prosperity of his people and to speak for the well-being of all his descendants. I find that to be awesome. And with that, we will pick it up in the book of Job tomorrow. Everybody take care. Bye-bye.